Welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 2919 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Coming to you live on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app. Stream all of our live local shows, including the Jim Parisi Show. Solomon on Blast and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. And we can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. Without further ado, I want to bring in a pretty talented uh, multi-instrumentalist, the guy who has found his way into the improvisation, melodic improvisational uh, scene and uh, has continued to thrive amongst that, uh, being part of uh, tribute bands and also uh, creating his own original content on his palette. Uh, Scott Metzger, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Thank you, Jake. Thank you for having me. Can I ask you, currently, the way you are situated, are you, uh, how, how do you feel about playing in bands like Joe Russo's Almost Dead in the sense that it's, how, is there anything original or is it all just uh, dead tunes? I've actually never seen the band. Well, material-wise, we're playing uh, Grateful Dead songs. That's the songbook. That's the foundation. But in a band like that, you're only playing songs about 20%, if that, 15% of the night. And the rest of the night is completely improvised. And we're really going out there and doing it. And, you know, I think that we've got, uh, so it's not uh, original music that we're using as a foundation, but I think that what we're doing uh, off of it is something very original, at least that's you know, obviously the goal. Can you, I mean, can you talk about uh, your concept of improvisation in the sense that like, okay, you play a song like, uh, you know, uh, where the, where there's a stretched out uh, improvisational period. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, that the, the dead did that. But I, I, what I'm getting at is like your perception, your understanding or how you bring improvisation to the, to the table, meaning uh, like, is it, you don't know what's going to come out of your instrument next. Can you just riff on that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think to me, something really important, uh, I got a lot of background in, in playing jazz, um, a lot of straight ahead stuff, and then a lot, quite a bit of avant-garde stuff as well, what people would call avant-garde. And um, for me, a big thing that I always try and keep in mind is that you can't treat music like it's sacred, you know? you can't be afraid to get in there and really fuck it up and put your own thing on it, no matter what you're playing, if you're playing your own music or somebody else's music, because that's what's going to keep music moving forward. And especially if you're playing a songbook that was written, you know, a lot of this, all this stuff was written like before I was born practically. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like a punk rock kid from New Jersey. And I think that I, you know, what I have to offer is bringing uh, that kind of energy to what I'm playing, you know, whether it be playing over, you know, autumn leaves on a jazz gig or playing uncle John's band with, uh, almost dead or, um, or one of my own songs. Talking to Scott Metzger here on the Jake Feinberg show. Can you, I mean, do you, we're, we're, uh, you're one year less than a year older than I am. I, mean, I was born in 78. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, can you talk, was there a period of time where you felt, like younger that you felt music was sacred. And then when you had, when you actually realized that in order for it to breathe, you had to get down and dirty and, uh, and fuck it up. Yeah. I mean, definitely. That's an ongoing process. Um, for sure. Cause I still, I, I, you know, cause it's, it's so important to me, you know, music is like the most important thing to me in the world. And it means so much to me. And I, and like all of us, right. We each have very, very personal relationship to music. And it takes a lot of courage to go in there and not, you know, not be afraid to mess it all up and really kind of, um, you know, just pour your emotions like all over it and not, you know, leave it all on the stage, so to speak. Um, Because it can get, it gets confusing when you do that. You know, it's not always pretty. It's not always on the grid and it's not, you don't always stick the landing on everything. But to do it justice, that's, I think that that's what you got to do. Can you talk, can you talk about, uh, I, I just, one of the L's, I, my show is predicated on the four L's, leadership, mm-hmm. love, life, and lineage. When I talk about life, I'm talking about 
overcoming adversity. But in this case, I, I would love you to talk about uh, a time on the bandstand when you were humbled uh, and how it made you stronger and, and, and how it made you, you know, more secure and a, a more complete musician. Well, time that I was humbled on the bandstand, I mean, we don't have that kind of time. You know? <laughs> no, I mean, like the uh, earliest that... memory where you, where you thought that you were doing some pretty hot stuff and then it kind of, I mean, then, then things fell apart. And then you realized in hindsight that that was actually the best thing that could have happened to you. I'll tell you, I'll, this is a good one, and, and I'll leave the names out of it. Sure. Pretty good, pretty good, well-known band leader. But I was up on stage once, and I was playing. Uh, I was improvising some solos. And, and, yeah, like I thought I was playing like my hottest shit, you know, and right. came to a, a, uh, a progression that I had this lick that I had been working on that was going to sit perfectly over it. And uh, I nailed it, stuck the landing. And the whole band looked back, you know, everybody lit up, you know, and just, everybody's woo you know all that <laughs> and uh and i took another chorus and the next time that the progression came around again to the same spot i did the same lick in the same spot and the drummer looked over at me and while we're playing he goes why the fuck would you do that again <laughs> <laughs> right and i said oh shit you know because it felt great to me in my mind i was like oh you know i do it once i'll do it twice you know cooking yeah but you know, but from that, what I took from that, I thought about that moment a lot over the years. And what I took from that moment was that in that moment, for the first time it went around, I was kind of playing to emote something, right? Like I'd been working on something and I knew that this thing was in my ear and I was, I was emotionally invested in it. And the second time through, I realized that I was doing it strictly to just impress everybody because I liked the reaction that I got the first time. So I did it again. And that's the difference between men and boys on on the bandstand, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, you let, let's spell that, let's spell that but... out for the worldwide audience. What in in Scott Metzger's mind separates the men from the boys in a setting where you're playing jazz, surf rock, country music? Psychedelic? Throw the labels away. What separates I, the men from the boys? Yeah, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what genre you're playing, whether it's improvised or written out. You know, you have to play because you're trying to express something that you're trying to get across as opposed to playing to impress people, to get the crowd reaction, to get the approval of the people in the band. You know, you got to be willing to just go out there on a limb all by yourself and just be like, you know what, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm playing. and I'm doing it with everything I got. And if you don't like it, you know, that's cool. You can go listen to somebody else. But like, this is what I have to offer, and you know, not not worrying about whether or not you get the big cheer at the end of the solo. You know, right? No, I, that's I did. You know. I did. I mean, do you, do you? How how do you? Uh, uh, I you know, how do you feel? Where do you feel at this point in your career? There seems to be a lot of you've been on a trajectory now for probably mm -hmm. since the turn of the century where you've been really cooking the groove with a lot of cats, different, younger, older, in between. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, where, where, uh, what are still some of the, of I know it's an ongoing process. Can you talk about an area of your, you know, just your whole constitution as a musician where you still feel like you are, you really need to grow in it. It could be chops. It could be as an entertainer. It could be as a leader. I mean, can you just, I just, I just feel there's a lot of people out there, you know, who, who might, who doubt their abilities when in fact they're extremely talented. And I think it takes cats like yourself who have been through the whole thing to talk about the fact that you're still growing yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, it's an, like you said, it's, it's an absolutely ongoing process. And not only that, I think it's ongoing in every realm that you can think of, like technically, um, sort of, you know, uh, confidence-wise, um, persona-wise, you know, all of it is, you know, like, you get into the, the specifics, you know, like playing in odd meters or something that's, like, escaped me for years, you know? I could fake my way through it pretty good, but I've never, deep down, felt like I could really, like, play in 15 and, like, own it and really hear it. So, you know that's something that I'm working on now and I can feel as that's coming along, you know, it affects the confidence in everything else that I'm doing. Um, 
How are you? How are you? How are you uh, uh, working on? I mean, odd meters. Uh, that's Mahavishnu personified. I got you know Jerry Goodman, the violinist, coming up. But how mm-hmm. do you? How do you woodshed that? Are you? Are you in isolation, or are you? Are you seeking out cats that can can, can that you can that you can work with? Oh God, yeah. No, I wouldn't put anybody through that. F and <laughs> <laughs> Be Scott Metzger's Jamie Abersall band. Exactly. Uh, yes, very. I do. I love those Abersall records, man. Uh, oh yeah, sure. I lived right? on that oh, stuff. Of course. Man. Funky. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had I had like volumes one through twenty-two. Dude, the I most eclectic. Every rhythm section, like Rufus Reed, was on those. Man, I just used to try to play like very perfunctory black keys on the piano. Those albums were great. Anyway, I didn't mean to get oh, off. Go ahead. Right. Now, well, you know, it's funny on that on that topic. Like, I went to William Patterson for for a hot minute wow. um, for, for jazz studies where Rufus was the, he was the director while I was there. And when I met him, I told him, I said, man, we've jammed for hundreds of hours together and you don't even know it. <laughs> I had played along, I had played along with the, with him playing bass on the Zabersaw record so much. Was, uh, was, was, um, uh, was Horace C. Arnold there, the drummer? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, that, they, anyway, great pedigree there. over at William Patterson as far as the jazz studies program. Oh, the best, yeah. the best. Really, I was very blessed to be there. Um, but I mean, the odd no, meter. I mean, how? So okay, so this yeah. is important though because I, there are cats who you know, we have the digital technology now. Mothers, Mothers Against Drunk Driving have cut down the late night jam sessions, and that's fine. All, you know, <laughs> but what that's I'm right. getting at is, are you doing? Are you when you are trying to grow and stretch yourself? How do you do that? Right. Well, I'm a guy that loves preparation, and I love rehearsing. I can't. Play, I know I can't play my best unless I feel um, totally prepared. And so I don't mind isolating myself and just working on something over and over again for, you know, three hours at a stretch. And there's an amazing, the way I do it um, is that there's an amazing program called, um, uh, it's an app, it's called the Amazing Slowdowner. And you can, you fly MP3s into this app and then you can edit the speed key, um, you can get it just so, so just the left channel's playing or just the right channel's playing, and then you can edit the sections so that a section will just play on a loop endlessly. Hmm. And that's how I do it, you know? Like recently we were doing uh, we were doing an Almost Dead show and one of the tunes had a, uh, had a section in 15, I think. And I just, I flew it into there and I really, I would just, I spent days you know, that was the only improvising I would let myself do for a few days. And slowly you just start to feel it, you know, um, as opposed to counting. I think that that's the secret in that. That's what I'm coming up with anyway. We got to feel it as a group. Oh, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, do you, like, as far as feeling is concerned, I feel like, uh, you know, how, how, what was the best experience or the most meaningful experience when you were able to really, learn how to feel the music uh you know i most of the cats and i've interviewed 500 cats from all different you know uh you know genres before genres were even even ever you know funk was never in the lexicon before you know it's like let's play some funk blues and then all of a sudden it became funk but those cats ultimately they were listening to radio maybe they'd get a chance to hear the song once they couldn't hit rewind it was about getting big ears and and feeling right. the music and so that's a basically when did your ears grow the most in your early career with who and then uh also talk about how to in your mind how do you feel the music i think cats think they're feeling it but it, it, a lot of the times i just get up there and they're just they're wanking it so can you talk a little bit about um those two factors yeah. ears and feel yeah ears well you know i mean I was I was hit by music very early on, as I guess any musician who you know a professional musician end up doing this for a living. You know there is a there's like a life force that you feel coming off music at some point, and uh, once you if you feel it as strong as I felt it, you know there's just no question. You know you can't just go like get a job. And, you know I, I wouldn't be able to do that. I had to make this my profession because I felt it so much. Um, I remember once I was playing, I was probably, I'd been playing for about three or four years. and uh, I was a very inside player, you know, for the first few years, as I guess everybody is. And um, 
I remember this like it was last week, you know, and we're probably talking about 1998 or so, 99. But I remember like it was last week, I was playing with some friends of mine and uh, we were just jamming in a, in a buddy's basement and we were playing a, a blues in 6-8 and it was a B-flat blues and I landed and, and I heard in the melody that I was playing a B natural, right? Which is, you know, it's a, it's a flat... Uh, flat nine you know so it's you know it's pretty dissonant thing (laughs) and i remember so clearly the first time that i heard like outside of the box so to speak you know like i'm a guitar player you know you stay in the pentatonic box keep it safe and it was such a powerful moment you know because it was it was like all of a sudden nothing you know there, there were no there were no limitations all of a sudden, you know, and it was a, it was a little glimpse into, uh, seeing that, you know, not everything needs to be inside. And I, and I was really capable of hearing things outside the box. Um, that was a really, it doesn't sound like a, a huge story or a big moment. And I've actually talked to the bass player that I was playing with that day. And sure. I said, do you, you know, do you remember that? That was like a life changing moment for me. Do you, Remember that? And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, he doesn't, <laughs> you know, he doesn't even remember getting, it was just another jam. Thing. No, I, I, uh, I, I really, well, I'm, I mean, dissidence to me is essential. Uh, I, I often look at, I go back to, you know, Garcia uh, at this pivotal time in his career where, um, uh, you know, he, he got together with Merle Saunders and, and Merle, th- that was because Jerry needed to learn jazz Scales, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a non-musician, so it's like when you talk about inside, can you talk about playing in? Like, what? Who are some of the jazzers that play that you were that you were always playing inside, and then on the on the and then the dissidents that you heard, and who who are some of the cats that play in a more dissident fashion? Because, like you said, it expanded your, mm, it, it, right. it, you know, it, all I'm saying is I could I know when I listen to the the Jerry and Merle stuff, I hear Jerry, he's not all that comfortable playing jazz, but he's trying to stretch himself out. Merle's playing right. these jazz, just very simple jazz, jazz chords on the, on the piano. But uh, you know, listen, I mean, I just, I get off on talking to you guys. Cause I know exactly, even though I don't technically, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, who, who were you, who were the jazzers before that you were getting off on? And then after that, right. di- who were the, di- after that, the, dis- the doctors of dissidents that you were locking in with. Doctors of dissidents. I guess. Um, uh, well, you know, I mean, I started, when I started listening to jazz guitars, I started listening, you know, I think that the holy, the holy guy in the whole thing is Wes Montgomery right. and Charlie Christian, when you're talking about jazz guitar, you know, to me, those two are the absolutely essential, like, you got to know those guys when you hear them within seconds, no question about it, you know, um, it's very, very, very important guys. And, you know, to me in the grander evolution of the, of the guitar's sound, I think that their sound now is, you know, harmonically, it's inside, I think, for the most part. Most, I think most people would agree with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when you put it next to somebody like, you know, you move down the line, and some shit that I got into, like, later on in life, like some of the Miles Davis stuff that had John McLaughlin on it, where the harmonic stuff that he's playing over completely different chord changes than what the band are playing. Um, you know, if you put it on a sheet of paper, it would be, you know, considered wrong, I think. Right. You know, technically, he's right. not playing, like, the right notes. You know, so he would be a guy, McLaughlin is definitely an out guy, a huge guy for me was John Abercrombie. Um, Love that cat. Oh, did, did a deep, did, I mean, I mean, you talk, I don't know if you ever heard his albums, uh, the pianist Barry Miles from back in the early 70s. Oh, yeah. Scatbird yeah. and... Uh, and uh, the other one, I can't. Remember. I mean, dude, Pat Martino's on one. Pat's another cat that does a lot of dissidents. But uh, yes, yes. Have definitely. you have you hung with Pat before? I've met Pat, and I studied with Abercrombie. Okay, um, so let's break it down. Tell me about let's let's just break this down because I, I this is so important. I mean, you you went for a hot minute to William Patterson. Metzger's a cat who's burning on the bandstand. I don't believe that truly in academia you can necessarily grow the vocabulary of any music. But when you talk about studying with Abercrombie, can you talk about a, a, a typical, like like a lesson uh, that really was transcendent for you? Well, John 
you know, I don't know. I only took, I took a few lessons with him. I drive up, he, you know, he's, he's upstate. I would drive upstate and, uh, and go to his place. And I remember the first time, the first lesson that I booked with him, I was so excited. And I came with like all this material that like I wanted to, <laughs> to go over. Right. And we ended up going for like an hour long walk to start the lesson. I thought I would only be there for like an hour. And, uh, it ended up being like this monstrous, like four and a half hour hang. And, uh, that is awesome. It took, like, that is it unbelievable. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And it showed me so much about being humble as a musician. Um, you know, this guy is like a really important guy on this instrument. And I was just a kid, you know, that, uh, that just wanted to come up and take a lesson from him. And he gave me his whole afternoon. And uh, we walked around and we talked about music and then we talked about other stuff. We like talked about TV shows and, you know, politics and all this stuff. And we went inside and we kind of like picked up the guitars and I think, and we played uh, Solar, which was super cool for me because he had made a record with uh, Schofield right. um, years ago called Solar. So for me, you know, it was like, it's kind of funny. Like I was like throwing in his, licks that i had stolen off the thing you know um do you feel that the conversation the, the like the hang was intended just to humanize the situation so that you know sort of all the anticipation and awe that you might have had going in kind of fell away so that then you guys could just play and be, be yourselves i don't know i think so yeah. you know yeah um but what really you know there's a bunch of things that stuck out for me from those times but one of them was that he would stop me and ask me what I had just played. And that was like mind blowing to me, <laughs> you know, what year was this? Was uh, that, it like late, late nineties or something? Yeah. Like late nineties. Unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. Yeah. And he would, he would be like, wow, that's, that's a cool line. Like, let's play that. And then in his Abercrombie kind of like, uh, you know, he was a big, he's a big thematic improviser taking one idea and making it stretch across a whole solo. And we would like, yeah, I remember he like took my idea and played like a whole solo out of it, you know, and it was, ah, I get goosebumps talking about it now. I love, you know? it. I love it. So cool, right? Mm. Could not be a cooler guy. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's funny. He did some really cool stuff. I mean, I, 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 uh, I collect mostly vinyl, but, uh, I've connected with so many of the musicians you got, I got to get you this record. It's really hard to find. It's, a uh, with the drummer, George Marsh in 84, Abercrombie was, uh, he, I mean, it's called Drumstrum, and he's playing like uh-huh. a mando cello, mandolin, and electric. It's just, it's just percussion and guitar. But here's the question for Metzger: Do you have, do you know Abercrombie's first, uh, not not as a leader, but his the first session he was on as an accompanist uh, that got cut on record? No, I have no idea. First one, Johnny Johnny Hammond Smith album called Nasty, and George Benson was supposed to be on the gig, <laughs> and couldn't make the gig. And, and at the time, John was playing with Hammond Smith in an organ trio, and he got the call. He, you know, he 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 <laughs> is uh, he is an intellectual cat, but um, a guy that really uh, has expanded a lot of vocabulary in. In music, and and I I wonder about that in your own mind. I mean, like sonically, like are you have you how are you trying to add to the vocabulary of music in your in, in this in the Scott Metzger way? I mean, you know, you play the pedal steel, which is not an easy instrument to to, to cultivate right. or get on top of. But in your mind, you know, I just look at it, maybe I'm way off. Maybe I'm just in my Tucson little hermetic bubble, and I'm you know, and I'm just here, but. I just feel like there's been a stifling of language and yeah. I look at cats like yourself as, as gatekeepers to the, and I just want you to know how you want to expand vocabulary and music. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, I couldn't agree more. And I think that the key word that you just said it is language, you know, right. to me, it's all about, you know, cause everybody's, Ideas are coming from somewhere, right? So you have to be very careful, I think. You have to be very careful as a musician who you decide you're gonna, is going to be an influence to you. And you got to understand, like, you really got to think it through. Like, why is this person an influence on me? Like, what is it that they're doing? Not just because everybody loves this guy, you know, because he's, like, the most popular player, you know, or whatever. Um, 
you know, I'm real picky about what I listen to. Uh, it's kind of like, because if you listen to something, you know, to something like garbage for long enough, it's going to start coming out in the way you, in, in your playing, you know, it's just inevitable that what goes in is going to come out in one way or another. Um, so, you know, I guess, uh, you know, to answer your question, it's, I, I try and find guys that I think are doing something interesting and that bend my ear. Mm-hmm. I'm always keeping an ear out for that moment. Like if somebody playing the guitar or any instrument for that matter, that like there's a moment where it's like, oh, I did not, I don't know if I've ever even heard that before. You know, I, and it certainly didn't expect it. Um, those are the guys that I then kind of follow, follow the trail of breadcrumbs and go back through their career and see how they got to that point. You know, you throw, um, you throw out anyone in particular? Oh, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Richard Thompson um, yep. has, has been a big one in the last few years for me. Wow. Um, mm. You know, because I just think that guy, I, you know, you're, you're hard-pressed to come up with any real guitar hero. He's the thinking man's guitar hero, <laughs> you know, because it's not blues-based. It's, and that is such a rare thing to find an electric guitar guy that's not blues-based. His thing is, I don't know what it's based in. It's like Stonehenge music, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Like, Celtic bagpipes, you know, but on the electric guitar, it's, it's um, super cool and super, super tough sounding. And there's a, there's a, the other guy lately for me, has been a guy named Debashish, and I have to admit, I don't know how to say his last name, uh, Bachara, I believe. Right. And okay. A, interesting. Interesting. How yeah. He plays uh, something called Hindustani slide guitar is the style. I love that stuff. And, that see, that's badass. That that to me is uh, stretching. You're stretching out, man. That that's on every level. His playing blows my mind. You know, like I just I I you know because you know I just sit there and I just listen. I just like I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what this guy's playing, and I'm loving every second of it. And I just you know you just try and soak that kind of those kinds of moments up. You know. Yeah, I wanted. To, can you, uh, you know, we, roughly we were born in the same period, but I, you know, because of your your sort of your nuanced taste in music, the fact that you are somewhat fearless on the bandstand, and you've been playing with a lot of people who went who lived through it in a completely different time in our country's history, um, could you talk a little bit about your experience with psychedelics and and how it has uh, expanded not just your consciousness but also your ability to play? psychedelics like drugs lsd specifically yeah. lsd sure yeah yeah well uh sure i took a lot of acid when i was in high school in high school um, okay okay i was in I was, yes yeah, go ahead go ahead yeah um and you go to the and, and you go to the, the 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 wooded wooded areas of south jersey and stuff like that oh man there was nothing to do in my town except get into <laughs> trouble right and then and, and then i and i got into plenty of trouble believe me and then when i found uh, pot and LSD, I would uh, just get as high as a 14-year-old could be or whatever and just listen to, like, you know, Miles Davis' Live Evil, like, as loud as my stereo would go and just go into, like, a hole for three days, you know, of uh, <laughs> of just that. Um, you know, here's the question, because I, 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 do you believe that... that... Uh, the LSD that you were getting was very pure because I know when, when I went to Boston University, I, I, I did a lot and in a uh-huh. short period of time, and it, and it was kind of tainted at that. It was obviously black market, but it was just not. Some of it was amazing. Some of it, well, I just curious about the like the the quality of it and whether it was a good hole or a bad hole. It was always good. I never had like you know you hear these nightmare stories. I know. I never uh, I never had a bad experience on LSD and uh, you know it was always a music for the most part it was always like a music based thing you know like put on a, put on uh, you know interstellar spaces or like really out jazz stuff or, and um, I think that I was getting good shit <laughs> I know that the Philadelphia uh, or the Pennsylvania Jersey border I, I I got some sugar cubes and they were the best I've ever had in my life. So there was someone making some decent stuff, but even as a leader today with Wolf, I mean, did you find that some of that introspection, I know this is hearkening back to your teenage years, but has that introspection 
helped you as a as a leader? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think there's maybe like there's, there's maybe like a fearless um, a fearlessness seed and the importance of fearlessness seed that was planted. I'm not sure how much of a result that was. I, I don't. I think that that was something that was always in me. Yeah. You know, before uh, taking anything, maybe that sort of accentuated it. You know, or blew it wide open. Um. Because it is similar, isn't it? You know, I guess. Uh, you know, if you're gonna you're gonna step off the beaten path while you're playing music, that takes a lot of guts, and it, it does. It takes a lot of guts to like put something into your body that's gonna possibly. You know, you're never going to see the world the same way again. You know, and it's, uh, it takes a certain type. What? I mean, how, when was the first? You got to excuse me here, but what, when did you first become a leader of a band? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I I, I don't I don't think of myself as having uh, you know leader of bands mentality because I, I as a musician I don't feel that way because I feel like that everybody that's playing is contributing equally, you know, always. Everybody's voice that's playing is, is just as important. Um, but I guess, I think that some would say that I, I was like a co-leader of a band in my early 20s with this band Rana that I yeah. toured around with mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, me and, and Matt, uh, the keyboardist, I think would be considered the, the leaders of that band. And then really, you know, um, Wolf is the first thing that's ever had my name on it and it's only you know it's just uh featuring and that's frankly that happened reluctantly you know it's happened reluctantly in the sense that you you would prefer it to be just more of a communal thing yeah definitely i mean i don't while we're up there it might be a guitar-led thing but like musically i don't feel like you know those guys are in value those guys are irreplaceable you know absolutely but you know i mean but i i guess that's the thing you know you're right. I mean, it's all about blending in so that everyone just can cook the stew. And I, and I dig that, but I mean, mm-hmm. how do you, re- how do you um, deal with the fact that you are becoming uh, a draw? I mean, you, that, that people yeah. come, to, come to, they come to see you and, and you're an entertainer and, and you're, you're obviously a pretty down to earth cat. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's, you have to assume some of that, that, and I just wonder yes. how you're, yes. how you're handling that with Wolf, because, uh, I mean, this is, and, and, and on the flip side, if you could talk to the audience worldwide about the, really what, what you guys are trying to, what you guys are doing as, as musically as, as a group. Right, right. Well, I think the two questions kind of go hand in hand, because, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly like a new skill set to be the band leader and it does, you know, you got to dig like pretty deep. Um, it's, a, it's a different energy that you have to bring to the stage. Cause I, it's true. It's like when we're on stage, there's a lot more eyes on me than if there's five other guys on stage or if I'm just, you know, backing someone up, you know, it's like all eyes are on you and you gotta, that's a big responsibility um, that you have to, you have to rise to the occasion. Um, you know, I think musically, the band is trying to do something that's not just, we're trying to have a guitar trio that's not just two guys in the back in the shadows with one guy out in the spotlight, just soloing all night. You know, we're trying to do something where uh, it's um, not necessarily flashy or showy, but just more musical. We're really just trying to do something that's very, very musical. Can you give an example? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think like yeah, sometimes just play the melody, play the melody of a song a bunch of times uh, over the course of a four minute version of the song, as opposed to playing the melody once and then soloing and then playing the melody again, you know, but like play the melody in different octaves or play the melody in double time once time, mm-hmm. one time, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to get more creative and off the grid than just this, you know, let's play the head. We'll have guitar solos and then we'll play the head again and then we're done. Do you find that, uh, like, uh, what, what do you, th- I mean, we both grew up, I would assume, I mean, I, we, we were inundated with, with labels 
genres of music uh, and you know this is jazz and this is rock and this is soul and this is blues and um, mm. I just wanted to ask you how much you feel feel that uh, labeling and genres have stifled music and how do you in Wolf um, go about sort of just going from the Duke Ellington school which is you know it's it's just music it's either good music or bad music right yeah um i mean not to get pegged i mean it's it just to, to me it's all about branding now and, and i and i just feel like cats like yourself talk about that that seed of fearlessness you know it's it it is about just yeah. going on your own path yeah well and i think that you're right too i think it is about branding um and i think that people bend over backwards to figure out how how are we going to brand this you know how do i want to be branded i have to think about you know like how this comes across and I think that my thinking about something like that is, is the total opposite. And that if you just let something come, you know, if you let your personality come organically, you know, it'll be the brand will then be, oh, it's, it's the wolf sound, you know, <laughs> or it's the Scott Metzger sound. Right. You know, I, I really do. I mean, I think that, and the guys who are like my heroes in that respect, like a guy, you look at a guy like Mark Rebo. You know, sure. I mean, sure. that guy is way off the charts when he started doing what he was doing. And I'm sure that everybody was like, what, the, what is this? What is that? You know, but he, he stuck to it, you know, and and now it's like, oh, yeah, he's doing like that Mark Rebo thing. <laughs> he did it. You know? Right. He got so he, yeah, he if that's interesting. He branded himself, which is or. Yeah, yeah I, I dig. I mean, how, how do you guys feel like. uh where are you, I mean, how long is Wolf, where is the evolution of Wolf? I mean, have you started to be like people saying, well, we're going to hear some Wolf music tonight, anything like along those lines? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, what are you playing, you know? It's like, yeah, we're playing some, <laughs> playing some wolf, song, wolf music for you, you know? Um, <laughs> I and I mean, that. you know, we haven't tried to push it. You know, we've, we were, we, you know, the, the label that we're on, Royal Potato, they sort of found us without us, you know, we weren't like, Rounding around, like looking for a deal, you know. I think that, you know, we're really happy just like doing our thing, and I think that comes across. And I think that people are finding us because we're not trying to like fit into a mold. You know, we just don't worry about it. Talking to Scott Metzger here on the Jake Feinberg Show live on Power Talk. You had a somewhat of a serendipitous encounter at a coffee shop with Trey Anastasio and Tom Marshall. Uh, this is going back a ways. It is. Yes. But, um, in so far, do you have a compatriot? I always like talking to cats, be, you know, front men. I, I don't even like that word, but leaders, uh, you mm -hmm. know, uh, people that are, that are, you know, that are, you know, that are getting people in the door, but ultimately do you have a compatriot that you, uh, write songs with? Lyrics. No. Lyr no. So you, you. So the songs that no. you. No. It's just you. It's just me. Yeah. The songs that I've written have just. They're. They've all come from me. Can you talk about um, a particular song that has lyrics that you've written, and ultimately, like maybe for you, what is the, the, is it the 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 crafting of it? Is it the implementation? Is it the is it the finality? What is the how do you take us through the creative process of a, a Metzger, a lyrical a song with lyrics in it? I think that's uh, because that's separate from uh, improvisational playing instrumentally. And then also you obviously want to go deeper than just, uh, you know, I love you or I miss you or this kind right, of stuff. You know, right. how, how, I mean, where does the, can you just take one song maybe off this album if there's yeah, one? Sure. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the, the album, the, the album's instrumental. The whole so, album's instrumental, okay. Right, right. Um, but, you know, I've written plenty of songs with lyrics, and um, the, uh, the one that jumps out, the, the, the way I always wrote songs with lyrics was that uh, they would always pretty much start the same way with a phrase. I would hear, they would always start from the lyrics, and it'd be a phrase. Um, and the one that jumps to mind is a song called Brother, I Don't Stand a Chance on an album called What It Is. And um, that was the perfect marriage. That song turned into the perfect marriage of like a, a phrase, which then grew into lyrics, which then grew into a chord progression, 
which then grew into a production concept. And to me, it just all all those steps were exactly on the same page emotionally. They all got across the same exact emotion. Do you, do you, is that still part of your repertoire? I mean, do you break out songs from that? Uh, or have you played that song lately? How does it feel? Hints, hints of it. Hints of it, hints yeah. Of it. Hints, but not with, not with lyrics. Uh, instrumentally. Only instrumentally. You talk about the drummer in Wolf. I, I always, uh, I, going back to being that you're yeah. a jazzer, Papa Joe, uh, Philly Joe, um, and then Art Blake. I'm just thinking about Elvin. Uh, all these guys that were playing... Uh, subdivisions. Can you talk about the kind of drummer that you like to play with, uh, as far as whether they the way they subdivide the the notes and things like that? I, I just to me, I'm just getting off on that because we've been. I mean, my daughters uh, just having all these electronic beats crunched into their ears for two decades has been demoralizing. I just like to you to talk about. It. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, right. I, you know, I mean, I do. What, who is the drummer in Wolf, and what kind? What is your, your drummer? What do you get off on about a drummer? What is, What do you like the most about a drummer? Right, right. Well, a great drummer has a lot going on in a seemingly simple package. That's how. That's what I always, uh, you know, I think really makes up a great drummer. You know, you hear what they're doing, and it's like, ah, it doesn't sound that tough or whatever. And then you get in there, and there's all these different feels happening. Um, guy who plays in Wolf is a guy named Taylor Flores, and he has that, you know, they call rock and roll rock and roll because of the drum beat which is mixed straight and swung they call you know they say that the, the rock part of the feel is the real straight part and the roll is the swung part and you'd have to talk to a drummer to find out what makes up what i'm not sure of the the technical things if the left hand's keeping it straight or the, or the right hand whatever but um Taylor does that better than anybody that I've ever played with. You know, he's the real deal. He's got that Midwest thing too. You know, he's from, uh, he's from Illinois and those Midwest guys, I don't know what it is, but they've got that, that rock and roll thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. There's something in the, there's a regional the beef thing. They're eating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, but I mean, he's, he, he, he's an elastic enough drummer where you, you can go outside of just going back to the heads and you can, play melodies and, and he'll does he play i mean he plays the he can keep time oh, and play yeah melodies. yeah oh yeah yeah well we got a whole bag of tricks too you know like we've been doing it long enough though like we can look at each other and we'll slow maybe we'll slow the time like way 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 down and then pick it back up and take it further than where we had you know faster than where the original thing had started or you know just look at him and he'll just play like a whole song just on hi-hats you know or something something like that you know because you got to figure out ways to keep it interesting. When there's just three guys and nobody's singing. You got to get creative up there. Well, know? I mean, I, I, this is fascinating. I mean, this to me is, uh, it, we're not talking about a power trio here in any way, shape. I mean, no. you're, you're trying no. to, when you say one guy in the front, two guys in the back, how does, I mean, are you, uh, will you reposition behind the drum kit? I mean, how, how do you get all three of you up in the front? No, but I'll kind of wander around. I mean, I, you know, we sort of do a U-shape, I think, but I'll definitely, like, you know, different rooms sound differently when you're playing, playing them, you know, and sometimes, you know, we did a gig once, and the best spot where I could hear things the best was behind Taylor, I realized. Like, in the second song, I was kind of wandering around looking for the sweet spot on stage, and I found it, and I was behind Taylor, and I just, I just stood back there, you know, um, because I want to be able to hear what's happening, you know, and otherwise I'm not going to play as well as I can. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, we set up pretty much pretty straight across on the front of the stage. Yeah. Um, just wanted to, uh, in our remaining, we've been cooking here for about 45 minutes here. I've been having a ball with you. Uh, just wanted to, yeah. to uh, ask you um, about when you play with, somebody who has uh, a lot to say, someone like uh, Anders Osborne, how, how do you, how do you, do you guys have any, um, I mean, I guess early on when you were first feeling each other out, I mean, was there any dialogue, verbal dialogue about, you know, 
how you guys were going to take turns or I mean how do you how do you not get in each other's step on each other's toes I, to me you you know you guys have a lot to say and it's important yeah. you know when you're riffing back and forth how did, can you talk about with uh, your your musical relationship with Anders yeah I mean there was literally not a word <laughs> literally not I a word this. I, I think love this the stuff. first gig he got up and I think maybe you know, I met him uh, 15 minutes before we went on, and I think that he looked at me before he started the first song, and he just went, gee. And that was the key of the first tune we played. And that was about it, you know? And um, that was three years ago now, I guess. And honestly, I mean, you know, I've done... I did, I've done gigs with him all over the country. We've gone all over the place and uh, we don't talk about what's going to happen. You know, who's going to take what solo or whatever. You can't do that really. Cause then it becomes this forced thing where you're in this box and it's like, Oh, well we talked about that this was going to happen in this order. And that's not really respecting the moment. You know, you got to respect like, okay, well he's feeling it here. I'm feeling it here. You know, and you, it takes a very specific kind of understanding and communication with like looks and nods, and, you know, it's like you're, uh, you know, second base coach signaling, you know, or something. Right. You're, you're, you're giving hands, hands. I love the nonverbal communication on the bandstand. I mean, that harkens back to, you know, uh, yeah. it goes away. I mean, do you, uh, at the core, uh, what are what is the who are the what are the jazz albums from uh the bebop or even 60s period that you like to fall back on that give you peace of mind uh it doesn't necessarily even have to have a guitar in it right yeah well the bebop i don't think many of them do i mean certainly like some of the west montgomery uh so much guitar west montgomery that one never gets old um none of the west montgomery albums do really um do you like the master sound stuff with Buddy and Monk? You know, I'm not as familiar with that stuff. Yeah, I know yeah. about it and I've heard it. I never went deep into it. Um, I, there's a lot of uh, YouTube clips of them playing. Well, Monk, a lot of people don't realize Monk. Monk was the first cat to play electric bass on a on a, on a jazz album. Uh, 50, he was yeah, right? 1953 yeah. Art Farmer album. I just love that trivia. That, that was just a badass group of guys. I mean, you know, they were all like blue collar workers. Wes right, was a monster, right. man. Wes was a freaking oh. monster. I mean, the, individual. the feel is the feel is is it's completely like you know nobody's everybody's tried to cop that feel. No one's ever done. You know, right? You know, talking about for 50 years now, people have been trying to do that. Um, what is like the bridge? Sonny Rollins, the bridge. Oh, that's a big one. Ooh. That's a little post. No, I dig. I, I dig. I haven't heard that in a while. No, that's a good call. That's a great call. You know, that one has guitar, right? That's Jim Hall. He's brilliant. Um, what about a what about an un, like an not even unknown, just like a sleeper album? What's a, give me give the audience a sleeper album? They can their, their ears can grow a little bit. Right, right. Well, there was always you know. Oliver Nelson, Blues in the Abstract Truth. Oh my! I can't believe you just dropped that, dude. I don't know if that's a sleeper. I don't know no, how it's, popular it's a that pretty, Oliver is. Nelson was a badass. He that was about a that's pretty sleeper though. Blues in the Abstract Truth. What, what do you what do you what do you dig? What do you get off on with that? What, I mean, there's like well, I mean, there's so many things to get off on that record. Um, for me, just the price of admission is worth just <laughs> Oliver Nelson solo on the title track. Right and. All of the arrangements, all the horn arrangements is amazing. The, the rhythm section, is, it's top to bottom. That, that album is top to bottom. It's got everything. Can you just tell the audience about any, uh, what your upcoming gigs are looking like in terms of between now and the end of the year? I mean, are you going to be going up to Levon's Barn? Are you going to be in Brooklyn? Are you going, going to be hanging out, you know, uh, riffing with Anders? I mean, what's, what's going on in, in Metzger's Yeah, Bar? well, there's... Oh, there's <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. I've got some. I got some gigs with. Uh, well, Wolf is releasing its record this week, so that record's coming out this week. So we have a lot of local dates in Brooklyn, and we're doing Philly, we're doing um, Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, later on in the month, Wolf is doing some gigs. We're going to be opening and backing 
for our friend Nicole Atkins, who's a great singer from Jersey. Um, we'll be doing that in upstate New York and in Manhattan and uh, down at Asbury Park. And I've got some stuff with Phil Lesh later on this month um, up at the Capitol Theater. He loves that place. He loves that place. What's not to love? <laughs> what a gorgeous joint. Are you kidding? That place. Oh, man. Um, uh- just, I mean, is yeah. It, yeah. So you're, you are booked solid. Um, uh, I always like to ask the cats this stuff because we're living through, in my mind, uh, well, we're definitely at a crossroads in our country, and uh, I just, I'm yeah. curious about your concept of love and uh, outside, uh, off the bandstand. Uh, uh, what is your concept of love, and uh, how how do how do you bring love to this world? Well, I, I guess, you know best way to answer that is that I try and bring it in every interaction that I have with people, you know, in the small things, even just like going to the bodega and buying something and just, you know, treating, treating the guy behind the counter with respect because yep. he's a human being mm-hmm. just like me, um, just like we are. And, uh, and then, you know, I think that if you're playing music, you know, whether you know it or not, that's what you're up there spreading you know um you you never know who you're playing for and what kind of hope you're giving people uh in that moment and sometimes you know you never know what what somebody's going through out there and you might you just might change somebody's life you know that's what i i uh you know like to think you know and every time you get on stage and 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 do that i'd say that that's it's to to really play from a very vulnerable place yeah. to really let people see what's going on in your mind. I think is the ultimate form of love that I know how to give. Scott Metzger, the album, his band Wolf, the album is coming out this week. And um, hey, man, I listen. All I can tell you about Royal Potato is that they are, you know, they're they're great people uh, there, and I uh, I want to thank them for setting this up. I also encourage you to. Make it down to the to the uh, uh, down to the old Pueblo here in Tucson. We get we get left out a lot, and I think your your trio would be a, a good fit. at maybe the Rialto. I just would, I would love you to come in studio and hang for a minute uh, if we can do part two. Absolutely, I'm going to take you up on it. All right, brother. Listen, have a beautiful day. Uh, best of luck on everything going on with you, man. Thanks, Jake. Back at you, man. Cheers. Thank you for having me. All right, brother. Peace. Let's heard from Scott Metzger. His band and his new album wolf is coming out this week and um we'll be back uh, in about nine minutes with justin kreutzman <laughs> 